Mana 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 this is Social Discasting. Welcome to Social Discasting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is a co-founder, co-owner, writer, and editor of and for the fantastic website Defector.com. After previously writing for a multitude of outlets like Deadspin, The New Republic, The Classical, which he was also a co-founder of, and SB Nation, along with being the co-host of the delightful podcast, The Distraction, please welcome David Roth. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for Hi. having me. Thanks for such a nice intro. Yeah, absolutely. It's the one time I get to use my journalism degree, so <laughs> gotta use it where I can. Yeah, <laughs> there's only so many ways to do it. This is that, like yours is probably the one that uh, makes you the least sad. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like before that, it was like I, I write a really good email. That's about it. Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> right, I write fantastic pitches that are then declined by people who are like, "I just got laid off. Sorry." <laughs> yeah it's perfect i know how to craft a sentence so just nobody needs them yeah what a wow <laughs> what a feeling yeah it's really delightful yeah you know it just as a first of all thank you for doing this yeah I man thanks for having it. me yeah absolutely and um the uh it's always weird to go formal after talking before this but the easy to ask difficult to answer and deeply unfair question how are you Pretty good, all told. I would have given different answers at different times, but now that we have gotten up here, like I got dose one of the, uh, I'm in the Pfizer familia as of Wednesday afternoon. And so I'm feeling an optimism that I have not felt for literally 13 months. First of all, hell yeah. Yes, as, thank you. I appreciate point. it. Congratulations. And, and also unto you for yours. Thank you but very much. Yeah, it's a it's a whole different way of sort of feeling and being like and I think even just once I had the reservation, I started sort of feeling better like the it's not you know, we're not through anything and there's still plenty of stuff to, to worry about. And I try to make time every day to just worry about it aimlessly. Yeah, uh, that's that's my process. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, like it's definitely better than it was. And I'm feeling happy to be like in the beginning part of the ending process of it personally. Yes, I, it's a weird thing of like, I don't know what's going to happen, obviously, with, I mean, we're still in a pandemic. There's still a lot of people that need to be vaccinated and inoculated. But I feel like I I soon will have options <laughs> in a weird yeah, way. Yes. You know, and that's nice. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I mean, I think just like so I had, um, you know, we had been pretty well hold up and you know we have our our neighborhood and our little things that we do my wife and I but like it's mostly just been us seeing each other everyone in my family is at this point inoculated thankfully but they all had it very early and it was scary you know like scary in a way that I've not been scared from you know my parents have had health scares they're older and not the healthiest but this was different and you know a more helpless and more terrifying way to feel and that was like a year ago this time that all that was happening and at this point like just knowing that I mean, you know, they would, they live close enough to where we live that like, you know, my dad would come in and pick me up and drive me back to New Jersey so I could play with their dog. Like that's absolutely <laughs> like important enough to him that he would do it. I just hadn't, you know, felt comfortable asking anyone to do stuff like that. And like just that feeling of things maybe beginning to open up for us. And then even, you know, going to get the shot on Wednesday, like it's such a, a corny way to express it um and it feels like kind of a corny thing to feel but like i hadn't been i've lived in new york for 20 years and i grew up outside of it you know this was like a place that i always sort of aspired to even when i was just coming in to like buy records and you know uh drink illegally (laughs) in in high school and stuff (laughs) and it was 
you know, I just lost it for a year, you know, like there was not all of the things that more or less justify the cost and the the sort of irksomeness of living here were just gone. And, yeah, you know, to feel like just taking the train to go get the shot, like we went to the big convention center on the west side and it was very, you know, efficient as a process. Like, I don't know how many fucking army guardsmen I like personally thanked as I made my way through it, but like <laughs> it's approaching a dozen, I'm sure. But just the the normal bullshit of getting there. Am I allowed to curse, by the way? Absolutely. Gently. All right. That. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. Of like taking the train and like it's a little slow and like I remember like transferring. There's a guy playing uh, that the weekend song like Blinding Lights on an accordion, and it's like <laughs> it's not a song that's built for that instrument. You know, like it was not the best rendition of it that I'd heard. But it was like the first time I'd heard a guy on a subway platform kind of duff a popular song in hopes that someone would give him a dollar like in one year i hadn't heard it yeah and so i was you know having these little waves of being overcome by like stuff that i knew was like the most humdrum dumbass stuff imaginable but just because i had been away from it for so long i i don't even know if i was like seeing the beauty in it like i don't want to get too like american beauty with the plastic bag (laughs) on the ship but it was just like i don't know man like those options like they you know like you were saying like i missed feeling like i could take advantage of it i know it never stopped it was just something that like didn't seem practical to to take advantage of well but i know what you mean like because it's that weird thing of there's been such this stasis for a year that it's like it feels like this year hasn't counted, but psychologically, at the very least, it has counted more oh, yeah, for, for 50 of them, you know? Yeah. So it's it's so difficult to process all that and kind of what that constitutes. I mean, we had different but both but interesting like vaccine experiences because here anyway, the place I went to was a hospital and I had that there. And then the guy who gave me the shot was like the nicest guy named Otto. And he was just trying to make small talk, just a very jovial guy. And he was like, hey, my son's named Brandon. I was like, cool. And he goes, you like shorts too? Which was a real (laughs) (laughs) Hey, who doesn't? I know, man. Shorts can't beat them, right? I mean, I like longs too, but, uh, you know, whatever. Whatever's available, I guess. He was like, yeah, you know, I'll wear them any time of year. And I was like, you know what? I probably would too. Who cares? He was like, yeah. And then we all but high-fived and then... I just sat down for 15 minutes after that. Yeah, yeah that okay. feeling of of being like in sudden and incredibly intimate friendship with people who were like maybe didn't really like they had been there for a long time and probably didn't care that much. Like the people that were like I had a moment I've been thinking about this, this is so embarrassing after the <laughs> shot where like I thought the woman she was what she was saying was exercise your shoulder, like move it around and you'll be less sore and it'll help. And I yeah. thought she said do you exercise? And I was like, I don't like just like push ups and like, I don't know. <laughs> and she was like, oh, good. Okay. I can see. Yeah. You got some definition in your shoulder there. And I was like, oh, yeah. Everybody always says like how cut I am or whatever. But it was like, I've been thinking about it ever since. Like, that's the sort of like retail blooper that like if I fucked it up in the before times, like I'd spend a week being like, idiot. Yeah. But in this case, I was like, oh, you know, all in good fun. There's a fucking plague happening. Like, no, no one's really mad. No one's laughing at it. When the specter of death is hovering more overtly than ever over everything, it's difficult for me to really like feel embarrassed for any level of fuck up at this point. Right. Yeah. Like, that's somehow that takes the urgency out of being like, uh, you wrote Y O U apostrophe R E and you meant Y O U R, by the way. 
Like it is definitely. And then you're like laughing. You're like, oh fuck me, right? Yeah. Right? Like, oh, yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah it's uh i don't know that part of it is is kind of nice i don't know how long i'll be able to keep that perspective hopefully at least another five weeks until i'm inoculated and then i just go back to being completely ungrateful and unbearable to be around yeah i fear my um kind of bright-eyed love of the world not that i like am uh, some angry cynical person by nature but i feel like i'm one year of all of that is going to be undone in far less than a year. Yeah, all it takes is like a you know a couple of weeks of normal annoyances, and I mean I don't know that for sure yet though. I will say that like I am hoping that I will carry some appreciation forward for for what I missed, you know, and like the things that I'm looking forward to are not you know like I'm looking forward to going to a baseball game, like I'm looking forward to going to a show, like I'm looking forward to going to a museum, like all these things I haven't done. Absolutely, but like there's a lot of of sort of just smaller shit too that like like i'm expecting to be overwhelmed a lot you know this summer Same. yeah and i'm not like you know like i have coworkers that are like young and single and like i don't need to know everything that they're planning on doing this summer but like i'm old and married and very happily you know in a series of you know routines and ruts that you know at this point are like the load-bearing stuff of my life and without those like i really was lost you know and i think that the I don't know if I if I come to appreciate like what it means that I have like you know two or three bars that I like to go to for happy hours and see my friends and stuff like that like if I come to appreciate those places and and those routines more than like I mean I hope that I can keep that in mind because I think that like while I always enjoyed them and I always knew that it was something that I liked I don't think I really understood how much they meant absolutely you know it's like something could be said for being without all of these things that even without you're not even saying like taking uh, taking them for granted, but just being without them yeah. for the first time and for such a sustained amount of time that I do think that, you know, it's like, you know what? A pandemic is an ultimate way to contextualize things yeah, and to really give you perspective. And that's certainly not that I necessarily was like completely devoid of it by any stretch, but it's given it to me a lot. And I'm, I think I'm going to be very appreciative for these things that I just was, have been without for so long. Yeah. That's my hope. I mean, it's weird though, because when it was happening, I remember being very uh, resistant to the sort of, there's this, I didn't know that many people that were doing it. There's some people, you know, like adjacent to my wife's work who were sort of talking about like, what are you getting out of this? Like, how are you improving in quarantine? Oh, and like, God, yeah. the answer to that is, is I'm getting nothing out of it. Like, I'm not improving at all. Like, I've been <laughs> depressed before. Like, I'm depressed again. Like, this is what's happening to me. And yeah. It's hard, you know, I don't want to go back and make, like, have this story that I tell myself. I mean, I learned to do one thing during quarantine that I didn't know how to do before, which is I'm good at shucking oysters now. And I started doing that, like, six weeks ago. You know, like, (laughs) other than that, like, and that was, and so until then, I had developed no positive skills or traits of any kind. Like, I just, I, I wasn't getting worse, but, like, it's that feeling of, and it really, like, maps well to like what it feels like to be depressed for me i mean i don't speak to your experiences with it i know everybody's are are different but the that feeling of of just stasis and having to like sort of just work twice as hard to get started to get up you know like i never had the you know depression so bad that i couldn't get out of bed or any of that stuff but i just had it where i would just spend months sucking like it would just be like a grind to do like a normal thing and where i was getting less out of it you know like that basic anhedonic thing where like i'd do things that used to give me pleasure they wouldn't give me as much pleasure like there'd be things that you know i could do just for yucks but i wouldn't want to do them because what's the point that like all of that like just permeated 
every element of my life because it did feel like during that stretch, but you know, when it started getting cold here, so like October, that like October really like until I got the shot, you know, was like, there was nothing really to do. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing that I, I really wanted to go outside and experience because there was all the stuff that I liked was off limits and it was cold. And like, that was tough, man. Like, of course I wasn't improving anything in there. Like I was just hanging out by my fucking fingernails every day. Just the idea, though, that I know that we, what you're saying about, like, you know, people talked about, like, Shakespeare wrote Macbeth during the play. Yeah, it's like, right. It's like, who gives a shit? Like, yeah. oh, cool. Congrats. That's cool. He sounds like a real talented guy. But it takes me three hours to write, like, a blog about how I don't care for Mark Jackson's commentary <laughs> on ESPN's basketball project. <laughs> like, that's because my brain's not working as good, like, as Shakespeare's brain works. Yeah, but also, though, I just don't imagine Shakespeare doing all that and, like, smiling. You know, like, we romanticize the thing. Yeah. It's seemingly, in my perspective, like, people that are great at what they do, it's because of all the work you don't see and they make it look easy because they did so much. Yeah. So we Definitely romanticize also, that. Yeah. And I think Macbeth, too, is not the sort of thing where you can, like, point to it and be like, well, here's a guy that kept a positive mental outlook <laughs> during the fucking plague. <laughs> like, yeah. Right. So, like, once you uh, understand what kind of headspace he's working in, then, like, yeah, I guess he made the most of it. It doesn't seem like he was having a blast while it was going on. But Yeah, I suspect he wasn't in a great headspace. <laughs> fair And fair enough. There's a deep textual analysis of it, but yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, man, yeah, this guy was depressed. Ooh, good one. Yeah, yeah I see why you, you are $200,000 in debt with your PhD. Right. Good, good analysis. Yeah, it's just tough to, I mean, that's the part of it that I, always, I never really was able to, like, let myself off the hook for feeling shitty during that period. I mean, I, I was able to, it's like that distance between knowing why you feel bad and then being able to actually cut yourself, you know, even a yard of slack for yeah. that. And I just was never, you know, and obviously this is not a problem. I expect it to go away. Like it's been, that's the the nature of how my brain works and doesn't work. But like knowing like this is a bad time, it's okay for you to feel bad. Like, of course you're going to feel bad because it's such a bad time as we were discussing earlier. That Like all of that is like, I had all that in my head. And yet like, you know, I, who else was I going to be mad at for feeling as lousy as I felt, you know? And so I just kind of kicked my own ass for, you know, at least half the time that we were locked down. Well, yeah, I'm the type of person where like, anxiety and depression, not, not that this is anything revelatory, is a truly insidious thing. Yeah. It's, I do not wish it on anyone. It is completely devoid of logic. You cannot toy with it. It's just me trying to almost actively manipulate myself to try to, to be okay. But that yeah. is something that I've learned in all this is like, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. I mean, you it's know? like, what else? It's a tough lesson, though. Yeah. Like, I think that's the part of it that is like, you know, and maybe if there's anything to take out of this like maybe that is is sort of it is just understanding in a somewhat more like empathetic or just like a basically kind sort of way like how difficult this is and how difficult not just those conditions make it but i mean just how difficult it inherently is to like be alive and stressed in this moment and you know let yourself sort of have that feeling you yeah. know, and it's just, it's hard though, because it's like, it's not a feeling you want to have. It's not like a luxury or whatever. It's just maybe being a little bit less hard on yourself than you might otherwise default to, if you're me anyway. No, I, I know what you mean. And, and a part of me thinks that, I guess, with a pandemic too, that as much as some of the more, I guess, day to day or overall bad things, as easier as the, those things are to probably like ignore or shut off, a pandemic is something, granted, some people would disagree with me, is impossible to ignore. Yeah. And you just have to reckon with that. Yeah. And I think that's part of, 
you know, the people that didn't reckon with her that made the choice to sort of live as if it wasn't happening. Like, yeah. there's definitely an element of me or part of me that that envied that. It was not something that I was going to do myself. It's not in me to to behave like that. You know, like I just feel like I got too many responsibilities to too many people I care about and too many people I don't even know. Yeah. But yeah, like that's not, it was impossible to shut out. And then also I think that, you know, adding to all of this sort of like self-directed, you know, anger and, and, you know, frustration there was like, and I think there still is sort of for me, like a great deal of like unresolved anger towards people who, who didn't take it seriously and who couldn't or wouldn't, you know, do the really honestly pretty minor things that were necessary to to limit this and therefore like forced everybody to just fucking eat shit for another few months and you know and the unluckier and more vulnerable people like i would say like caused them a great deal of suffering and death like absolutely and that part of it i mean i don't know what i'm going to do with those feelings you know like I, i wrote something this week about the sort of resistance to not just like getting vaccinated, but like the like oppositional pose of like a lot of some of, you know, the players in baseball that have sort of resisted it. And like, you know, I I was sort of surprised, I think, to find how angry I was in writing it. Like I knew that it was stupid and I'm used to writing about stupid things. That's kind of my whole job. (laughs) But it was like, I don't know, like, I don't think it needed to, to be as bad as it was. And I think that you know, the people who uh, passively or actively made it worse than it needed to be are just off on their own sort of trip and not aware of that. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I, I want them to be sad at what they did or if I'm just mad that, you know, they made it worse and more annoying for everyone else. But yeah, there's a lot there to talk about. But like on top of that, too, like people hijacking this and opportunistically in bad faith using this stuff. Yeah, which is just another layer of awful. I mean, at least to some degree, you can chalk some of it up to like deep-rooted ignorance, which mm-hmm. is nice in a way, in its own yeah. way. But then to consciously be evil and use that is like even worse. I know with I like, think... go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, I was saying, I know with... Yeah, please continue. No, no, man, I I mean for you to talk. I don't know how to stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I know with baseball though, right? That. They're not requiring 100% of players or, or people in the organizations to be vaccinated, right? It's like yeah. they're they're giving incentives for being a certain percentage. Is that- yeah, it's 85% in the clubhouses, okay. which I think is like, you know, it's not 100% and it's not 100% what you want, but it is the sort of thing where like, if it works, if it's the sort of thing where like the peer pressure element of it, of like, if everybody else is willing to do it and you're the one guy that like you read too many Instagram posts, so you're pretty sure that this is a microchip like yeah. by Bill Gates that's being implanted in you, but also like you're the reason why everybody on the team flight can't play cards and has to wear a mask and you're sitting there feeling like an asshole. Like if that peer pressure works in a positive way, then like I'm all for it. Yes. The the one thing I wanted to say to what you were talking about though, because I think it was a good point. The thing I couldn't stop from interrupting you and saying, <laughs> please is that like that, the selfishness of this, I think there's people that are, you know, for, there's a lot of, of, different ways to wind up with a bad opinion right Mm -hmm. but i think that the people that have used this as an opportunity to just sort of steer things back towards the one thing they want to talk about you know like the way that either to make a political point or to make some sort of like you know grandstanding anti-vaccine like anti-science sort of statement like 
all of this stuff, like when I see people doing that, where they're like, yeah, this pandemic that everybody's all head up about, like, this is a great way for me to like a nice segue into talking about the dietary supplements that I have like made my entire personality (laughs) that like stuff like that. There's a, like, I am gobsmacked by that level of narcissism in this case. Like, and I know that it's true. I mean, there's people like that all over the place. Like you meet them just in workplaces in your daily life. Like, I don't think I really understood how far they'd be willing to push it in the face of something like this. There are no links. Just the idea of like, you know, these people will always exist no matter how bad and awful. It's a very um, keen insight into the depths to which, by which humans will plumb. Like there are always, there's always an asshole in a room and there are always those people in this world, regardless of the circumstances. Yeah. And I think I've, I was inclined in some ways, this is like a weird thing. It's a woman I had volunteered with for many years and I knew that she was like an anti-vax person who had some weird opinions about vitamins and science and stuff like that. But like that, I just didn't talk to her about it, you know? Yeah. And that's part of you know, that's like normal stuff. Like other, everything else that she did, like in terms of this was like in a food pantry on the West side and like she worked her ass off. Like she was very organized. She did a lot of like logistical heavy lifting and like we wound up, you know, like some food went to members, some food went to people who really needed it. Like she did a great job there and I was able to sort of, I mean, I'm not like writing her off personally, but like I do remember talking to her during the early days of this and I was like, this is somebody that I'm going to be comfortable working with anymore. Like not yeah. because, you know, like someday, like I'll be in a situation where like neither one of us will have to wear a mask, you know? And like, it could be like it was, but like hearing this person just like rant about like fucking Sweden and big pharma and all this stuff. Like there's a part of me, like, I think I just sort of realized what I could and, and couldn't countenance in this case. And it was like, well, this is like what this person is really like. And I think that like, as much, you know, as I hope she continues to do what she's doing, like, and I'm going to keep trying to, you know, put my volunteering efforts in the same directions. Like, I don't want to do it with her. Like, I just don't think that that this is somebody I should be around. Yeah, that's a very difficult thing to reconcile. Yeah. And to know that, oh, this person's doing good work, if not great work, and really helping out. But then you also think, well, what's it going to take? Like, oh, this person is just, it's just done. Like, this is just their firm belief. They're firmly entrenched in that. It just will never Nothing will change this perspective. Yeah. And you just didn't have to, you you didn't have to, it wasn't at the forefront like it is now in the wake of all of this. Yeah. But, and that's, it's easy, you know, when there's not the pressure of the circumstances that, you know, we've had over the last year. Like, I think it's, it's weird because I I still want to be tolerant of people who have dumb opinions, you know, because like I have a lot of dumb opinions myself. Like, and it's the sort of thing where that's, you know, part of what it means to to be human and stuff like that. Like no one that is like well-adjusted and emotionally mature would get as upset about the Mets as I do. Like that's, I'm not like, you know, I'm in a glass house to a certain extent with stuff like that. I just know that like, there's also, uh, you know, there are, are limits to this. And if you can't adjust relative to the context of it, then like that's, you know, a, a sort of damage that will eventually make issues yeah i i do i have struggled during all this too like defining what it is to be fair and reasonable toward people Mm -hmm. you know again as if you know i i don't have some of the dumbest thoughts in the history of thoughts right and like who am i you know to to judge somebody or write off their mere existence but again this year has contextualized a lot of things and made me realize that you know 
empathy has been a, a big, not that it wasn't there before again, but thing that I think about constantly in all this and seeing other people's perspectives and trying to be fair, but while also realizing like, oh, you can also write some people off because fuck that. Like yeah. at, a, at a certain point, it's just too much and it's utterly absurd. Yeah. I think that it's also, I agree with the, the point on empathy very much. And I think there've been some things, which I think just like seeing how much people are willing to do to help other people brings home, it makes me less willing like otherwise normal people you know that like the people that are working at vaccination sites the people that are you know doing mutual aid in neighborhoods and stuff like that that like these are are people who were not maybe doing stuff like that before the pressure of this moment and i think if ordinary people are capable of that kind of heroism and, and selflessness and i do think that there's something really heroic about being willing to to give when you're insecure and in what you have yourself and being able to to put time and effort and risk behind your ideals like if people can be like that then that just means that I am going to want around you know want to be around more people like that and fewer people who can't manage it i myself have always felt like i should have been doing more during this period you know but like i didn't know what to do <laughs> you know like it's it's hard with stuff like this. I feel like, you know, you try to find a way to get in where you fit in and stuff like that. But I don't know, like there was something about being overwhelmed, you know, by the the scope and the scale of the horror, you know, of the last year. Like, I don't like feeling like I don't have agency. I don't like feeling like I can't sort of impose some modicum of will on my own life. And like, you know, I haven't been able to do that. Nobody has really. And the only way that, you know, sort of people found to do stuff like that was by being irresponsible. You know, it was like going in the other direction of just like it being will without anything else attached to it. Whether it's like people freaking out because the sense of control or the illusion of control was gone. Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to do whatever I have. I'll cut my nose despite my face because I just can't handle this, you know? And I think, again, I think a lot of people have had to to reckon with things that they've been putting off for years because all of our, our idle distractions were predominantly gone but to your point though about like beating yourself up about handling the year or things i should have done or that type of thing like i think about that a lot and my air quotes conclusion is that like the year was such a blur and again i was thinking about this while i was driving yesterday why is it such a like to the degree for me that it is a blur why is that and then i realized oh because i didn't do anything (laughs) because nothing nothing stands out there are no benchmarks in my head of like oh well in june i did this it was all more or less the same shit right and like, and I did have like big professional moments during the year, but yes, it's all, it all feels exactly the same. It's 13 yeah. different March, 2020s happening yeah. with slightly different weather end to end for, you know, more than a year. And it's tough. Like all that stuff that I think that's exactly right. Like just sort of like the normal life stuff that sort of reminds you that you're alive and living someplace. And then like those little milestones of being like, yeah, the day I went to the beach or something, you know, like, yeah. I didn't fucking go. So like without that there, it does like, it feels decontextualized and and kind of adrift in a way that's really uncentering. It is because it makes you feel like you didn't do anything. And and although I guess in the more like the ways we quantify doing things, you know, whatever that means, but in the non-traditional ways, we didn't, we didn't like in March when this started or, or we, it's hit here, so when in the American perspective it started, right. that uh, it was like, oh, six weeks and we're done. You know, and people are like, 
even at the time we're like, well, I've got a cruise in May. Let's see. TBD. And then now it's just like quaint and adorable to think that knowing what we know now. But at the moment we were just doing, we were navigating the road as best as we could. Yeah. Like, and that like rationalization was like, it was wrong. Like in the sense that like all of the stuff we were like, well, we'll check back in June and maybe we'll all want to get together at this vacation house that we talked about or whatever. Like I had all the, the people I worked with advice before we all got laid off. Like we're still very close and we had, talked it was like in march we were gonna get a house and just like on a lake and like hang out together and grill and drink beers and stuff and like i remember those conversations before we were doing it just in terms of like so what should we do like table this reservation like should we ask for a total (laughs) refund and everybody like initially everyone was like well i don't like how far are they gonna let us kick the can and then like you know everything was happening so fast during that like two or three week period when things were starting to lock down that like a suggestion that was made like hopefully but like not entirely crazily on like a tuesday by friday everybody's like lol what like why are you yeah, like, yeah. what what were you thinking about that 72 hours ago how did you let yourself believe that that was possible which is funny because even the shakespeare thought at the time was in real time people were like oh fuck off like even yeah. that was rejected like that was so egregious even people were like yeah don't hold me to that right like this is don't turn this into a fucking successories poster man like even if it's just for six weeks like everyone's gonna be really unhappy for yeah. that period like you know let people be unhappy let people not enjoy things <laughs> like but yeah like let people stew it's okay yeah. and we say that of course and then people refuse that and then there are so many other uh <laughs> so many other factors into this you know it's yeah. an oversimplification but I don't know. It my my um really intellectual like deep seated analysis of all this that it's all just so much. Yeah, it's all so much. Yeah, I think it's just not like even if it's the sort of thing that like you know if you'd felt bad before you know like of course that's not like training for this. It's not the sort of thing where like I can click in and be like all right like you've uh, felt like you couldn't leave your house because you were too sad in the past. Like, what do we do in those situations? Like, I don't have good answers for that shit. Like I felt that way for two decades. And like, mostly what I do is like exactly the thing that a depressed person would do, you know? And the other stuff, I mean, just, I think like there is no sort of preparation for it. I think that's the thing that like, it'll look more poignant in retrospect, but the, the lockdown protests that I remember from last spring, I guess, yeah. Like, do you remember the the guy in Michigan that was crying about, like, because he could do lawn care stuff? Yeah. There's, like, a little video of it where he's like, where am I supposed to get fertilizer now if I can't go to Lowe's? And you're, there's a part of it where it's, like, it's ridiculous. But, like, also what you're seeing is somebody, like, confronting emotions that are bigger than him and yes. a situation that he can't impose his will on in any way and is just, like, emotionally unable to to fully get his hands around it. And like, that's relatable. It's normal. Like it's weird that that's the shape that it took is like threatening the governor's life because you want to go get some like miracle grow. And you're sad that you have to wear a mask. I'm the lawn guy. What do I do now? Right. And like, and if I'm who am I, if I'm not the lawn guy <laughs> and <laughs> like to a certain extent, like I understand that, you know, cause it's like, I don't, I think I was past a lot of the, you know, the real interesting ways or fun ways that I ever like define myself. But a lot of those were the same way that like we, even if, you know, if my wife and I are like the people that sit at the bar at the restaurant in our neighborhood that we go to every week yeah. and like they know us and they know our order and like, you know, eventually they open back up and we've been getting it for takeout and stuff like that. But like the absence of that, like you 
develop like it's part of the biorhythm of being alive like it would come around to be thursday night and i'd be like oh wait am i fucking cooking tonight is that real but like that's who you know that's what we'd become it's what we did that reminds me kind of like like with sports you know like when people didn't have that for the first time in their existence to not have that actively and that kind of maybe you know maybe just being a fan of sports but also like the tribalistic element of that and for a lot of people like that's plenty of people's identity yeah i wear these colors i root for this team and to be without that like i completely understand how difficult that must have been because you know like some people are the lawn guy that's their personality and yeah to be without that it's like who am i even for me i agree with that entirely and i think even for me like as somebody who does watch a lot of different games, like I had, I think maybe not fully appreciated how much a part of like my sort of rhythm of being alive, like the Wednesday night West coast NBA game is. Yeah. Or like inside, I don't even like inside the NBA anymore. Like, I feel like it's all, that's a shack thing. That's a whole different podcast, but it is, Look, it's collapsed in on itself. It yeah, feels like it's, and I think it's a lot of it's him, man. He's just like a total zero and a mush on the energy of the show. But that said, maybe it's not for me, whatever. But like yeah. just having that sort of in my life, the idea of like just watching an hour of basketball between 1030 and 1130 at night. Yeah. You know, like it's not something that I ever took terribly seriously. I wasn't really watching it with both eyes most of the time, you know, like I'd just be sort of screwing around or doing some other thing or, you know, but when it wasn't there, I really noticed it. And I think that that like is a lot of what like sort of sports had come to sort of be for me. It was like a part of that like broader rhythm of, of being alive. And then when they started coming back in these kind of like stilted incomplete sort of ways, you know, like that, the dumb 60 game baseball season or like, you know, watching like even like we're like watching like a tennis tournament where there's no one there. Yeah. You know, that like stuff like that. I mean, all the events happening at the wrong time during the last year and stuff like that. It just like it wasn't the same. I, I wasn't wanting to do it. And I've been much more eagerly like watching baseball this year, I think, in part because the season is starting at the right time. And so the rhythm of it makes sense with what, you know, I spent 40 odd years of my life beginning to understand. And then also, I think because of this possibility that like it's going to get if everything goes as you know i hope and pray it'll go that like it's going to get more normal over the course of the year to the point where like maybe by the time we get to october it actually feels like baseball but like that is so different than watching these things that just sort of like feel wrong seem wrong and have that kind of like uh you know like the relationship between watching the nba in the bubble and watching an NBA game with like a full slate of people in the crowd, which we're still not there yet, obviously. Yeah. It's like, it's absolutely like margarine to butter, you know, like it is just artificial ingredients delivering a recognizable, but unsatisfying experience versus like the thing that's made with like actual living shit. It's like technically similar, but completely different. Right. Yeah. Like you can definitely believe it's not butter. Like you are fooling yourself <laughs> on that other yeah. you, maintain otherwise it's not a very compelling like coke versus pepsi taste test you're like oh no that's factually that's margarine right i know what that is yeah like it looks different it tastes different like (laughs) just because it behaves sort of the same and it comes in a similar size tub does not like fool me in any meaningful way (laughs) going back to like what we're going to actually appreciate like maybe that'll actually be this will be the thing that makes me like pay attention to baseball in august because i'll be like you know like this is a real baseball like it's very boring like the way you like it. I feel like, yeah, baseball is like um, both the, the positive, depending on, I guess, the level of fandom, and the negative is there are so many games. Yeah. In that regard, like 
I mean, that's nice for this yeah. season. I haven't been without. That's a delight. I think it's especially good that this is like the sport that's really sort of rounding things back into shape at the right time because it's like baseball is routine. You know, like yeah. so many games, like one game to the next doesn't really matter all that much. And like we're about to enter this stretch, like once you get, once the weather really gets nice, they're like right now people are still overreacting to shit because it's like, first of all, nobody is exactly in the best emotional space right now, let alone sports fans. But yeah. also like, you know, there's been eight games played or, you know, or five games played if you're the Mets. And that in that case, like, so it's still new enough, but like once you get to like July and stuff and you're in the like the 80th, 90th, 100th game of a 162 game season, like it would be weird to care about it that much. Like the players don't care about it that much, you know, like they're pacing themselves too. But like, yeah, like I think that as I think about like getting back into the routines of my life, like I think that's going to be the part of it. Like as much as I look forward to those like first weepy (laughs) visits to my favorite bars, like I'm looking forward to the unremarkable ones more, you know, like I'm looking forward to it just settling back in as you know a thing i do yeah i'm looking for at this point just some semblance of quote-unquote normalcy i don't even know what that necessarily constitutes it's kind of like that it's like going through this entire pandemic it's like i don't know the correct way to do this but i just know you know there's no definition necessarily for that but a baseball game man i've been to some form of every major sport and a baseball game is the most like delightful leisurely zone out if you want or just pay attention you're there for the company too it's a it's hard to beat yeah it is and i think it's the one like that is like of all the things that i miss about it it's like it's not the baseball necessarily like it's like a thing that you you sit outside and drink beer on a summer night with your friends it's the and ritual. Like, yeah. yeah, it's and, and and that element, like obviously the game provides like a framework of like how long are you going to be there, uh, how happy or sad are you going to be, whatever. But that like, yeah, it's the the whole point of it is that it has this like shape and sort of like emotional tenor and that there's like an experience that you can identify as being like being at a baseball game and yeah. doing the things you do at a baseball game. And like, yeah, as with any of this stuff, I mean, I think it's like you notice it when it's not there. I did want to ask you, who's the best baseball player you've ever seen in person, like seen play? Oh, boy. I mean, I'd say that I didn't see him at his apex, but I went to a couple of Pedro Martinez starts um, when he was with the Mets. So he was already declining. It was like after the the real godlike seasons that he had in Boston around the turn of the millennium, yeah. where like I think is the coolest that I've ever seen any pitcher be. I loved watching Maddox, too. But he seems like such a shit. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like, but with, with Pedro, it was just that like, he was also the fact that he was like kind of little, you know, that he was not like a physically imposing, like Maddox was like, he had the glasses and there's something sort of professorial about how he just like always put the ball in exactly the right place. Yeah. And that was cool, but it wasn't cool in the way that like Pedro was cool. It's not like dynamic. Right. It was masterly. Which yeah. is nice, but it's the sort of thing. But there's a difference in terms of like, you know, it's Steely Dan versus like whatever. But yeah, it's the sort of thing where like you're supposed to sit there like nodding at like how interesting the time signatures are or whatever, and like that's just never. It's not something I don't enjoy, but it's not something I enjoy as much as like Pedro humiliating someone with a you know breaking ball that like <laughs> yeah. has never been thrown on Earth before. Yeah, I mean, but he also was like didn't talk a lot, so that added to like this air of mystique about him. It felt yeah. like there's a thing I remember like this very vividly. I have some friends that like do scouting stuff 
you know, like for websites, not for teams. And they were talking about the guy Sixto Sanchez, who's on the uh, Marlins, and I think will be very good, but is a similar mm-hmm. sort of pitcher, like short, fairly slight of build, like way more fastball than you would expect given his size and like and a killer breaking pitch. And they were talking about like sort of the struggle in writing him up where they're like, the natural thing to do, like if you had to make a comparison is Pedro, but like it's a rule that you don't comp Pedro. Like you just can't do it. Like it's unfair to anybody and it's always going to be wrong because there's not anybody that's actually really like that. He's the exception and not the rule. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I feel like Otani is eventually going to wind up being like that too. That like in terms of writing about him a little bit, that like when the logical comparison point is Babe Ruth, (laughs) like you just simply have to wait and see because like it's, there's no way that that could be right. Yeah. And it's also like, that is not a very insightful comparison. It's like, oh yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. like it's one of the two guys that everybody's heard of. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it is, and that said, like, it's, uh, it's been difficult to argue with so far this year, at least. I hope he stays healthy enough to make it something I can at least write in a totally forgettable 700-word blog post about. <laughs> well, I mean, to somebody who, in the same game, hits a pitch 115 miles per hour and then throws a pitch 101, that's a, individually, that's incredible. Yeah, but like that's, collectively, dear God. I would say that's the coolest thing that you can do in the sport of baseball, in my opinion, which is fine. Yeah. So like, just keep doing that for another 10 or 12 years. We might actually have something. (laughs) Which is easy. I'm sure you can do (laughs) that. How hard is it? Who couldn't do that? In the minor leagues, I saw Michael Jordan play. Oh, really? In Birmingham? I saw him in Memphis. The Memphis Redbirds played the Birmingham Barons. And we drove up there to see it because it's like, well, we got to see this. Mm -hmm. And it was it was batshit crazy. Just the feeling of it, you know, everybody anticipating it. And then he went 0 for 3 with, a, with like, a fielder's choice. Yeah. That's what he did. But it was just like, he was like, wow, you just have to see Michael Jordan play baseball. Yeah, it's such a weird interlude in the middle of, of that career. I saw him as a basketball player. I saw him beat the New Jersey Nets a bunch of times when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. And I hated every fucking second of it. Like, I, I wish that I had been able to enjoy it a little bit more or, like, be aware of it. But I was just, like, I was so mad that somehow Chris Morris wasn't outplaying him. I was young, but like I was also pretty stupid. I think about that too with like LeBron, for example, just thinking of trying to consciously appreciate him while he's here. Yeah, because he's he's a staple. He's unbelievable, all timer. Maybe the maybe the greatest of all time. And just to remember, like, man, I'm gonna miss him when he's gone, and I know that. So I'm just trying to pay attention in real time. Yeah, same. I mean, like, and I don't feel like that is like. I think that's a a mature approach to it. The idea of like wasting time, like being mad that some people uh, like think he's better than Kobe or whatever, (laughs) like whatever that is, whatever opinion it is that makes people dislike LeBron, whatever like weird twitching gland in the brain, uh, like you're shorting yourself the experience. Like wherever you stick him in your firmament of stars or whatever, like he does two things or three things in every game that's just like impossible to have imagined before he started playing. Like, yeah. he's literally the same size as Carl Malone, and he plays the way that he does. Which is funny, because I, I have a deep-seated, I almost said dislike. No, it's a straight-up hate for Carl Malone. As well you might. He Cannot sucks. stand him. Just a truly unbearable human being. Pretty good basketball player, as I recall. But, like, even given how cool he was, like, in terms of just, like, a big dude who, like, could score whenever he wanted to, still never really actually that fun. <laughs> no. No, and I just remember, like, elbows and playing dirty. It's funny. I was playing NBA 2K21 yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was playing, like, it was, like, some random some random team that was just combined, you know, and you play them all, and it's, like, an all-star team. And then I saw a guy, a, a CGI rendered or whatever, player with the 
like sweatbands on his on his wrists and big arms, and I'm like, that's fucking Carl Malone, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was so cranky about it. You're getting this like I'm just trying to have fun here, and you're making me think yeah, exactly. about Carl Malone, like just crashing the party and me trying to play. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> this game. <laughs> Somebody ought to think about that. Forcing the Carl Malone experience on people. How dare you, NBA 2K21? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was like, have you no decency as I'm yeah, right. just trying to play a game at 11 p.m. at night mindlessly? And you must make me think of an actual NBA player that I dislike. <laughs> that's messed up. That might be the worst thing that's happened to anyone in the last 13 months. <laughs> wow, this is comparable to the pandemic minimally. <laughs> <laughs> How is it to be a Mets fan these days? I know it's early days, but I feel like there's reason to be pretty hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. They haven't really been very good yet this year, but they, you know, like, they've been bad in ways that, like, I remember, they were the same way they were bad last year. I mean, just, like, good pitching, being let down by, like, an iffy, shallow, overworked bullpen and kind of, like, bummy, uh, you know, hitting with runners in scoring position. Like, a frustrating way to lose. Yeah. But... Like, it's early, and I think they are they have a lot of players that I like watching that they developed. Like, it's kind of miraculous that a team as likable as this emerged from this incredibly unlikable ownership group that they had before, who's really, whose only passion was, like, disliking their own team and trying to, like, get over on them. Deeply resentful of their their own, like, winning lottery ticket they have. Yeah, yeah. that they, I think in part because, like, they didn't have enough money to, like, run it you know, the way that they maybe wanted to, but they were also just like, they weren't very happy guys. Like they wanted it to be their way and they wanted, well, they wanted their way to be right. And so uh. they just kept, you know, they kept doing things their way. It kept not working because they were dummies with no real baseball expertise. And then they just kept blaming the players for that as if it was, is their fault. And like, they've got new ownership now. It's like a, you know, prolific financial criminal with no evident personal charm, but you know, Spent, he got Francisco Lindor, so like credit where it's due, I guess. That like he's he seems like he's sort of trying. So I think a lot of it is that like I think they'll they'll be a team that I want to watch all year long, which is yeah. like a low standard for a baseball team, but like it is one that like that's basically been the way that I sort of navigated the bad Mets teams. Like I watch them until I don't feel like watching them anymore, and then I'm just like, all right, terrific. Like on <laughs> yeah. on to something else, more elaborate dinners. Yeah, it's it's funny. I used to. Speaking of the Mets, I used to collect a lot of, not a lot, but I was really into like memorabilia for a time. Mm -hmm. But I have a baseball that's signed by the 86 Mets. Oh, that's cool. That was, so I was eight years old when that team won. And I think it was like more, I wish, you know, I kind of wish I'd been 10 in retrospect. I think I was more of a, just a freak for baseball when I was 10 years old. Yeah. But it was, I mean, you know, it's the last Mets team to win a World Series, but it was also like so magical. And I mean, it's like, Knowing what I know about that team now, I mean, they're just a bunch of, like, rowdy cokeheads and stuff. But yes. but there was, like, something about it. Like, I, you know, that absolutely, like, just locked me in for life. Like, having a team that was, like, winning the way they were winning and, and also, like, that seemed intense and fun and kind of, like, grown up and cool and stuff like that. Like, I was absolutely, you know, just gone off that shit. And... I don't know, that's a cool thing to have. So it was a pretty, I mean, everybody that remembers that team, like either they remember them extremely fondly or they hated them so much. Yeah. Either way, they're going to be interested in seeing that baseball. Either way, it elicits a response. And something right. could be said for that, especially in a world where like baseball, seemingly at least the major league like organization's perspective is just trying to wring it of any personality. Yeah. You know, like they don't want dynamic players, which is such a bummer because 
Like the 86 Mets, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that it's like, I mean, I think it's a question too of like the, how they like sort of conceive of it or what they want it to be is like very opaque to me in terms of like the, I don't think that the commissioner really likes baseball very much, like just as a sport. Yes. You know, and I think the owners at this point, whether they like it or not, like they mostly view it as an investment vehicle. So like there's maybe some that are sentimental about the game or want the team to win and stuff. I think that's a a minority of owners are are like that now. And the rest just want, you know, 7% return on investment every year. And you can get that, but you might not be able to get it if you're paying the best players, the, you know, market rate. And so the choices between their financial end and putting like a fun baseball team on the field for people in their city to watch, like, it's not a choice at all. Like they just don't care enough to make it one. And that's, that's tough, man. That's like a hard thing to get past. Like as much as I love the game, it's just like knowing that, that those are the guys that are in charge of it and that they're going to probably lock everybody out after this year and all that stuff. Like it's just fucking grim, you know? Yeah. So granted, I, I just said about like wanting personalities and like some, something dynamic. Thank God you guys didn't get Trevor Bauer. That's a oh win. Oh my God. I was really, so the owner, Steve Cullen, has like talked rapturously about Bauer. And he was like, this is the guy we were willing to go over the luxury tax for. Like we really wanted him. And like that part of it makes me nervous because they missed out on all the other free agents that they were supposedly in on. And they missed out in the ways that the Mets always sort of do, where you like, you take the third best guy and then you talk about him like he's the best guy, uh, which is what they did with Catcher. Or like, you know, you don't sign George Springer and you wind up with Kevin Pillar and Albert Almora Jr. instead. And you're like, well, we like where we are. Like we like what we've got. But like, Bauer, beyond the fact that I think that that guy is either rule enforcement or rule change away from being like a league average pitcher again. Yeah. Just in terms, but like, you know, everybody's putting stuff on the ball. He's doing it more effectively than anyone else. I guess you tip your cap to that. He's just an unbearable guy to me. And like the prospect of having to cheer for him or not cheer for him, but I mean, of just like his successes redounding to the benefit of like the team that I've cared about since I was a little kid. I didn't really like that. And he wouldn't have been the first asshole to play for the team. He's just like maybe the most annoying out of any of them. Yeah, he's he's the type of person I'd meet at a party and be like, oh, this guy sucks. Yeah. I just wouldn't, I don't want to be around this person. Like one person too many told him like, man, you're smart. And he's like, right? Yes, it's definitely a thing. It's unbearable. Yeah, I mean, I think like the smartest guy in the locker room thing is like definitely real. But I think there's also, there's a lot of different stuff there with him. I think that that's another guy, and we were talking about this before we started recording, that like, takes the absolute wrong lesson from like online approval, you know, and just like, it's like a, you know, like an an animal in a cage that learns to like, if you bump a button with your snout, a treat comes out, (laughs) you know, and his thing is just like bullying random girls online (laughs) or whatever, you know, but like it makes the numbers go up and it's not something that clearly seems to trouble him very much. And so like, that's so much of like what he does is that like aggrieved, like a bullying way of claiming to be bullied. Like, and it's just a very unappealing way for people to be. Uh, you know, thinking about that, how like just the idea of um, maybe like being a quote unquote free thinker is an absence of critical thinking, you know? Yeah. Of like just thinking outside the box. It's like, well, I get that, but like sometimes there needs to be a box. I also think critical thinking is value neutral, right? Like it's good. It's better than, I suppose, it's better than just passively accepting whatever you're told. Fair. But it's also the sort of thing where like it has to be done in the context of values and empathy and like all of the things that make like people into people instead of into just like accounts that periodically post gang harassment incitements, you know? Yeah. So like that seems to sort of be missing that like little bit of discernment 
and I don't know if it's just the sort of thing where like he can't conceive of other people's experiences being as real as his or if you know there really is just an element of abstraction there in terms of you know if someone can't do something for him it's not I mean I don't think this is unique to Trevor Bauer by any sense but it's not any kind of way to be like you know it's just a very incomplete way of of being a person it's a type of personality too where like people will put up with that as long as you are as good as you are right now it's kind of like, you know, almost like the T.O. factor in football of he was unbelievably good. So they put up with a lot of potential distractions. And then when that was gone, he was very uh, prematurely like done. Yeah. Over. I think, and I think that's it's something that I always admire in athletes that, you know, because it's hard. Like, I don't know what it's like to be as good at anything as Allen Iverson was at basketball, for instance. Yeah. But when he lost that step. I, at the time, I remember writing stuff, you know, being like, so this is, this doesn't have to be the end. Like if he refines like this or that thing, like he could play another 10 years if he wants to, like, he's just probably not going to be Allen Iverson again. Like he's not going to take 30 shots a game and he's not going to be, you know, the person who gets the last shot necessarily, but like, and he left instead of becoming that player, you know, that like he, but there's, I always admire the guys who don't. You know, the idea of like Vince Carter's career that like, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer for me and like his peak was as high as anybody's. But like he also continued to adjust and refine the elements of his game that like were not being taken from him by time and attrition and just like the wear of playing basketball professionally for 20 years. And he stayed valuable and like very good for oh, yet a whole other back half of his career that I think, you know, in the way that we sort of write virtue onto athletes after the fact that like, I think it exists because of the fact that he could like accept, you know, what he couldn't do in a way that like, I think is really hard for people that have been like that close to being a fucking God, you know, for any portion of their youth, like aging gracefully after that is a pretty impressive thing to me. I wish I could say that, oh, I would have done that. I don't think so though, honestly, Certainly because not. I don't think I have no confidence that I would have been able to. <laughs> I mean, you're the best player on every team your entire life. Yeah. And so I can understand how it might, you know, metastasize in a Trevor Bauer-esque personality. Because, like, you know what? You've got to be so goddamn confident and assured and aware of what you can do and, and how your body works better than anyone on the planet. So I get how it comes to that. Yeah. That's where I try to, to grade athletes on a curve, too. Because, like, I, I totally agree that, like, that level of confidence and, like, just, like, sort of selective psychosis, you know, like, once a week, you're just, like, a completely, un like, a maniac. Yeah. And then the rest of the time, like, this is what they say about Max Scherzer, is that, like, he's the nicest guy in the world, but, like, you just can't talk to him on the days that he's starting. Or, like, Rich Hill is, like, another, which is an interesting one, because that's the guy that's, like, has had to adjust so much and has been, you know, spent all these years recovering from injury and, like, playing in independent leagues and stuff. But, like, that's the, the carrying tool there, is that, like, every five or six days, they're just psychotic, yeah but like not all the time just then i think about that with like michael jordan too about how like thank god he had basketball because otherwise he'd be a serial killer yeah he has they have all these different athletes have this outlet with which to be i mean th the best of the best you have to be a maniac yeah you know and i get that and thank god for that and it actually reminds me speaking of alan iverson that i i think i saw his first college game ever oh really was he was it at university of arkansas or where was it it was at the pyramid in memphis Nice. I think it might have been an exhibition game with the Hogs, and I think it was like coming off their national championship season, or because they, you know, the the Razorbacks. It's wild to think now, but we're two years in a row in the national championship game. Yeah, one one. 
great players. Wild. I remember that team very fondly, like the Todd Day, Lee Mayberry team. Yeah, it was. But yeah, it was. It was in the pyramid in Memphis, which we were far away enough, especially in a world where like Allen Iverson's five ten on a basketball court already, and you're far away. But you just saw like this little blip darting everywhere. And you're like, oh, that guy's really good. Yeah. That part of it, it's always fun to sort of identify that. Like, I remember, I haven't been to a lot of minor league games, but I remember after my uh, my wife's old choreographer partner was, she got married, she's from Delaware, got married in Delaware. And the day after the wedding, they just, like, bought, like, bulk tickets for a Wilmington Blue Rocks game, which was the high A ball team of the Royals. And they were miserable, but they were playing yeah. the Red Sox high A team at the time, which was Raphael Devers and Yohan Moncada were the left side of that infield. And I knew their names, you know, because I read the baseball prospectus book like a fucking SAT prep thing every year, you know. Like, <laughs> but yeah, like I was like watching them trying to be like, so what is like different about these guys? And Moncada was not a great shortstop, you know. He was like a totally rectangular guy. Like he he made the plays though, and he didn't you know hit anything especially hard but he was on base every time he came to the plate like he drew a walk he had a single he had a double and i was just kind of like so this is what it actually looks like to yeah. see somebody who's like this much better is that like there's probably some like fine grained stuff that i'm not like an astute enough watcher to pick up on but like he's just succeeding more often than everyone else yeah well that i mean we again we talked about it before this but i saw my trout play here because in the 2011 season with Arkansas Travelers, he played like 91 games, I think. And I saw him several times because it was more like there was a lot around this guy already. Obviously not realizing he's going to become what he has become and continues to. But when I was walking into the stadium and they were like stretching and everything, that's who you looked at. Yeah. You're like, oh, like this guy is different. And it was very clear. And I say that and he's deeply uninteresting seemingly. You yeah. know, as He's not dynamic like we talked about. He looks like the person that you get as a standard face when you're creating somebody in a video game. Yeah. You like know, you, it's like kind of start, a blank canvas. start there, and then they're yes. like, yeah, add some personality to it. Dress him yeah. up. Yeah, he's the thing they give you when you know you're going to want something else. Yep. Again, no judgment on that. You know, even when I was reading about, like, it was like some traveler's story about, like, who is Mike Trout from 2011? And even, like, his pics were like, he just said, I think, like, what do you like to do when you're not playing baseball? And he goes, I like to hang out with friends and have fun. Yep. And like, oh, yeah. I love Brad Same, Paisley. Dude. I love Brad <laughs> right. Paisley is what he said. And this is like, yeah, it's just, that's who he is. Fair enough. It's been weird. I think that some of this has to do with like Bauer's profile too, that like their baseball has this desire to impose some personality on these players, but like they are trying so hard to do it. So with, with Trout, it's the, the thing that people always talk about is that like, this guy loves the weather. He just watches the weather channel just for kicks. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. and like, I don't, I mean, that's something that's more than I like to hang out with my friends and have fun, but like. It's not something you can really hang much of an anecdote on. And with Bauer, they're like, oh, he's such a character. Like, you, you know, he's always out there. He's doing unexpected stuff. Like, no one does what he does. And then, like, but if you scratch the surface of that, you're like, oh, God. Like, what if everyone did what he does? Yeah. Like, that's not what you want either. Yeah. And that reminds me, weirdly, of the um, Dimitri Martin had a joke about, like, it must suck to drown, but it must be a little bit better if you're thirsty. <laughs> like, oh, you know, at least you'll go out being quenched. Yep. And uh, and just the idea of, like, with Trevor Bauer, it's like, yeah, oh, he has personality. Okay, hold on, hold on. Yep. Like, calm it down a little bit. I just want to make clear, this sentence is not over yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> is... Yeah, there is an implied conjunction here. It's going to continue, don't worry. <laughs>
Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time. We've, we've taken plenty. So thank you. First of all, thank you. This was a delight. Thank Man, you so much. I'm happy to talk to you. I appreciate being asked, and I very much enjoyed talking about it. I'm glad that you know we're both sort of uh, having this conversation with like some more hope in our heart or whatever, but I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I don't know, it, this is a good thing to have done during this period, and I'm glad that uh, I'm always happy to talk about it because I feel like people don't like to talk about it. Yeah, it's, these are tough conversations are, are still necessary yeah. as much as it might suck sometimes. But I mean, I say that, of course, and this has been an absolute delight. But what all do you want to point people toward? I know Defector.com. And- yeah, uh, that's the website. I started with um, my former coworkers from Deadspin. And like I write there, the podcast lives there, although it's also a Stitcher premium, Stitcher production where it's not premium. But yeah, like that is where I'm putting most of my work these days. And it's been fun. Like the you know, you'll get a free articles. It is a subscription site, but like we are trying to bring the old strange internet back one, you know, <laughs> blog post at a time. Yeah. So, so far it's working and that's been, you know, easily the best thing to happen to me this year. Although as uh, anyone who's been listening this long knows that's an extremely low bar, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great site. It's great. Thanks. Man. And the distraction's that. great. It's a great podcast. Thank you. Yeah. That's yeah. been, again, as with this, I mean, it's like been nice to have an opportunity to talk on zoom with my friend drew for 50 minutes each week, <laughs> yeah. even yeah. I mean, it's for work, but like that's more time than I get talking to my, you know, actual in real life friends in the average month. So I'll take it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Realizing, oh yeah, this is a luxury and thank God for it at this point. Yep. But yeah, that uh, I'm, I keep saying thank you. It's just me put upon, but thank you again. I appreciate it, dude. Absolutely. And thank you all for listening. Please stay safe. Take care. Wear a master seven, you know, lead with empathy. Do the best you can. All right. right on. Bye. Bye. Bye.